Sikkim Sports presents the Sikkim Sportscast, a look at all things Baylor from recruiting to football, basketball, as well as news concerning the Big 12. Your hosts are publisher Kevin Lockwood and managing editor Jake Shaw. Our MC is Stephen Cook. Now it's time to talk Baylor, and here's Stephen Cook. Hi, welcome to the Sikkim Sports Podcast. We're going to be having an interview with Cameron Martin later in the show. Right now, we want to add, I want to ask Kevin and Jake, how does this commitment, does it change the game? Baylor hadn't had a commitment in a month. People are getting a little worried. How does it change the game? Well, I think from Baylor's standpoint, uh, it obviously broke a, tr- uh, broke a trend from about a month because Montreal Wilson the Keller Fossil Ridge safety committed uh, back in mid-June. Now, of course, they haven't added to the 2015 class, but I also think, too, that Baylor's been pretty methodical on how they want to add to the 2015 class. And from what I understand, the 2016 class isn't going to be that big either. So they're already off to a pretty good start. I think for the 15 class, probably looking at about maybe five, six, maybe seven spots more. So they've got some time to work through this. Of course, we've got some big decisions coming up with some other recruits here in the next few weeks. I think uh, it has less of an effect on the 2015 class, although I think you'll have some. But I think it has more on the 2016 class because you have a, a stud like Cameron Martin committing early. And I think he can be a guy like Blake Lynch, the 2015 commit, who's a real vocal leader of the class. He's a guy who's contacting other recruits. I think Martin's going to fill that role for the 2016 class. I think it's huge to have a guy who's a potential five-star running back making calls to other recruits, getting them to come to Baylor. That's going to carry a lot of weight with a lot of other recruits. And to touch on your point, Jake, I think the interesting thing is you mentioned about Cameron Martin being kind of the recruiter like Blake Lynch was. And both Blake and Chad President have been very – not only are they great athletes, highly recruited and obviously highly rated by rivals, but the fact that they – have been kind of, if you will, surrogate recruiters for Baylor uh, via the social uh, networks and so forth. I think that's really kind of built some more goodwill in terms of the way that they're selling the program to other kids who may not have had, you know, the, all of the information about Baylor in front of them. Yeah, because, uh, you know, recruits can call other recruits anytime they want. You know, coaches don't have that luxury. They're they're bound by NCAA rules. So, you know, basically, these recruiters are, are helping the co- uh, the coaches with their jobs. It's a, it's a pretty great new trend in recruiting. And one other thing, too, Stephen, to let you know about is the fact that, you know, the dead period for this recruiting period just ended at midnight on Monday. So now we're back into the quiet mode. So things will start to pick up as far as, you know, Baylor making contact with recruits, be it the 2015 or 2016 variety. Okay, so, but this Friday is the last camp in Waco. So, who are we expecting to be there? What are you all expecting? Well, I think Derek King, who's a highly rated cornerback out of Corpus Christi Flower Bluff, is expected to be there. Um, he's a kid that's it was coming off a uh, torn ACL. He would originally committed to Texas, and then when Texas made the coaching change from Mac Brown to Charlie Strong, that commitment was not honored, which sometimes that happens. Uh, he has been talking to Brian Norwood uh, quite a bit. Uh, everything seems to be a go for him to come up on Friday. He's a three-star uh, defensive back. He was originally in the 250, but because of the knee injury and he wasn't getting a lot of offers, things kind of backed off. But now he's got offers from Oregon and TCU, and I think his plan is that if he gets up here on, on Friday and has a pretty good workout, I do suspect that Baylor will offer him. And then as far as the 2016 class is concerned, you've got Derek King, who's actually the quarterback for Manville, but Baylor has offered him as a defensive back. 
uh, and he's already gotten off to a really good start touching base and talking with the Baylor coaching staff, in particular Chris Acuff. So I think that that's, those are two of the big names for me that stand out. Yeah, going back to the, the flower bluff guy, um, you know, one thing I think might help his chances of getting an offer is the fact that John Humphrey had decommitted and Humphrey was slated as a cornerback. You now have an opening there. Um, there aren't many other cornerbacks out there that have offers from Baylor that aren't committed elsewhere. So I think uh, his chances are, have increased. And obviously, like you said, if, if he has a great workout and shows that he's rehabbed from his knee injury, he might, he might leave Waco with an offer. Yeah, I think, and I, I might have, I might have misspoke. It's Jalen Campbell out of uh, Corpus Christi. Yeah, Jalen Campbell. I thought you said Derek King. Come on, yeah, Kevin. Uh, I, I misspoke. It's uh, Jalen Campbell. But anyway, you know, but he, he's a kid that I've talked with on, on a couple of occasions, and uh, Derek King is the kid from Manville. But nonetheless, uh, Campbell is a kid. That I think that he's he's kind of going through this recruiting period with a chip on his shoulder, uh, wants something to prove. And another kid to keep an eye on too is one of uh, King's teammates in Manville, an offensive lineman, 2016 a kid by the name of uh, Austin Myers. Uh, this is a kid that missed all of the 2013 season with a uh, knee injury, torn meniscus. We'll have more about him in the Blitz this coming Friday. But this is a kid that uh, was actually on the defensive side of the ball and moved him to offense, and uh, he's gotten off to a pretty good start. He hasn't gotten an offer yet from Baylor. He has one from Clemson. So we'll see how the uh, camp unfolds for him this coming Friday. Kevin, I'm going to jump in and ask you a question. Sorry, Stephen, I'm going to take over your role. But <laughs> we talked about Cameron Martin, and uh, I'm curious if Corey Delphine is going to be there in Waco this weekend. Uh, I know he um, was also visiting Tech this week, but you know what? Uh, what you think he might be there in Waco this weekend? And secondly, how does Baylor's chances change now that his teammate Cameron Martin is committed to Baylor? You know, a lot of people have talked about that, Jake, and. Uh, you know, I, I guess anything is possible with uh, Corey coming through Waco on uh, on Friday afternoon. He gets up to Tech uh, on Thursday. Uh, de just depends on how long he stays up there. If he's going to stay up there through the weekend, then obviously he's not going to come back through Waco. But if he leaves Friday morning, then obviously you got to you got to get back to Port Arthur somehow, and you can always yeah. uh, kind of go. You can always kind of detour on uh, through Waco and go through Highway Six getting down to Port Arthur. Um, you know, he's still got a visit scheduled to Texas A&M on August 2nd, and it doesn't sound like the last time that I talked to, to Corey was, was last week, and he made it sound like he was probably going to wait through the football season to make his decision. He mm -hmm. also indicated that he's picking up some interest from Florida and is maybe talking to their coaches about trying to take an official visit out there. So if this does hold up the way he's saying that it's going to hold up, I think that this recruitment will be – Will, will be a little bit of a protracted affair, not in a negative sense. I still think Baylor's in a pretty good spot here, even though he's still a soft verbal to tech. But at the same time, I think it's going to take some more doing for Baylor in order to make its case in order to, A, pry him away from tech, and B, get him to commit to them, because you've got a pretty good horse race in there. I just don't know how much of an influence Florida is in this in this race just yet. Yeah, I do agree. It could go on, but I know you and I have talked to him between 10, 20 times, and, and every time I've talked to him, he's spoken really highly of Baylor. So no matter how long it goes on, I do like Baylor's chances still. As do I, but again, recruiting is weird is the uh, yeah. phrase I like to live on when it comes to this industry. Okay, and I guess the last guy that we've got on our radar that everybody's interested in is Khalil Houghton. What's the story with him right now? 
Well, the Waco Midway 2015 safety has made all of his visits. He's gone to Arkansas. He's made a couple of visits to Lubbock, of course. Uh, I, I kind of kidded him that he's made so many visits to uh, Baylor that he should be giving tours right about now just because he knows that campus inside and out. Uh, he's also been to Oklahoma. Uh, he has said that he wants to be a little bit methodical. There was some thought that he was going to make this decision toward the end of July. He had mentioned to me recently about maybe pushing that decision into early August. It does sound like that there is still some thinking going on here. He did share with us that he does have a gut on where he wants to go, although he didn't disclose that, obviously, for obvious reasons. But I think that there are some other things that he wants to look for. The thing I like about Khalil, whichever direction that he goes, is that he's been very meticulous about this. He's been very thorough and careful in this decision. It's like us when we were trying to figure out where we all wanted to go to school you know, some made it, and I'm saying us in jet as a general sense, that you wanted to make sure that you had all of your pros and cons lined up. Of course, at the end of the day, you'll never know until you get on campus because there's always the dreaded transfer. But I think Baylor's in a good position here. I'm not saying that they are the favorite here. I, if it were me and I was to rate handicap this, I still think it's between Baylor and Oklahoma with Tech making a late charge and Arkansas on the outside looking in. But that's how I see it right now. Okay, and uh, this isn't a scheduled question, but I wanted to ask y'all, uh, Baylor, you know, with Martin, Florida State offered him. Uh, Houghton's got some pretty big names. What's it say about where Baylor's recruiting is going right now about the, with the schools they're competing against now as, as opposed to the schools they were competing with five years ago? I think okay. it says a lot of things. I think, first of all, I think the staff has the confidence to offer guys who are getting recruited on a national level. They have the confidence that they can recruit them and and, and win them, um, and that they could go up against you know the supposed giants of, of college football and and not feel like an outsider there. Um, they they've earned that right. You you win a conference championship in a major conference and and you've earned that right. Uh, secondly, uh, guys are committing. You know you, you mentioned Cameron Martin had a had a offer from Florida State a long time. A lot of people thought he was a Florida State lean. I talked to him in the end of April or, or beginning of May, and, and I really thought coming away from that conversation that although he liked Bayard a lot, he was going to end up at Florida State. So um, you, you're not only trying to get these guys to campus, now you're actually winning some of these battles against the, uh, against the big boys of college football. So I think it says that Baylor can um, and will go against just about anybody to try to get a recruit. I think there's two things involved here. Is that one, Baylor is 5-3 and three against Texas and Oklahoma, the two blue blood, two uh, blue bloods of the Big 12 Conference. Um, that means a lot. Uh, they've won two out of the last three meetings with Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, the the win on that Thursday night against Oklahoma, I think, spoke volumes. Of course, for them winning the net, uh, winning the Big 12 championship, but I think it was kind of a statement pre statement game in terms of that they are here to stay. Uh, as a Big 12 power, if you will. And of course, the stadium has a great has a lot to do with that $260 million McLean Stadium, which will be opening up on August 31st. The other thing that stands out to me is the fact that they are very thorough in who they want to pursue. And they want, they're not going to, uh, you talked about Jake, and very rightly so, that they are offered kids that maybe folks like Alabama or Florida State or USC have offered, and they're winning their share. They're not going to win them all, but I think that the fact that when you win a conference championship 
and you have a four-year run like Baylor has, and you have the record against Texas and Oklahoma like you have, those those are points that you can stand up. And, and I'll tell you this much, too. When kids were coming to Baylor's camp in early June, whether it was in Waco or Marshall or Lake Highlands or down in Cy Falls, they saw that Big 12 championship trophy being displayed. The Heisman Trophy that Robert Griffin won in 2011 – speaks for itself. It's the greatest trophy in all of amateur athletics, in my opinion. But there's something different about a conference championship trophy that really spells a major, major accomplishment for your program because kids are visual. They want to see it, and now they see it when they look at that trophy and now that Baylor and know that Baylor really means business. Yeah, and last one thing. I kind of want to clarify something that both of we, we have said, um, and that is you know, Baylor's offering guys that Alabama or whoever right. you want to say is offered. They've been offering those guys since since Art Bryles got to Baylor, and, and Guy Morris probably offered some of those guys. The difference now is that these kids are listening, and so when you have kids listening, now you actually have the chance to recruit them. So maybe six years ago, you might have offered a, a four- or five-star guy. Yeah, you offered him, but he might not be listening at all. Now, now they are listening, so I think that's the distinction I, I really wanted to make. Sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll play the uh, uh, Martin interview, and then we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming Big 12 Media Days. Get caught up with the latest in Baylor recruiting, basketball, and football with Friday's Baylor Blitz, a weekly staple from SikkimSports.com. It gives you all the details from every recruiting side, football moves, and everything from basketball, from recruiting to upcoming events. Sikkim Sports' Baylor Blitz, a Friday staple. It's been here since 2012, and it will continue to be here. And we're back here on our podcast, and now with our first guest is the latest addition to the Baylor family and 2016 running back Port Arthur Memorials, Cameron Martin, who just committed to the Bears on July the 15th. And Cameron, first of all, congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Let's it's talk a little bit about the decision. Let's talk a little bit about the decision. We wrote the story in Sikkim Sports yesterday about how you were up in the wee hours of the morning making this decision, making sure that everything was right about this. Uh, you've had 24 hours to reflect upon this. What does this mean to you now that this is over? You're a Baylor Bear. Um, I feel more relief. I feel like that was the place that I needed to be. And I feel like that, that offense was really that the offense really can fit me. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that you know you had 21 offers from some really some really good schools in there. The defending national champion Florida State doesn't get any better than that in terms of quality of offers. Baylor's offer kind of speaks for itself, of course, because they're the reigning Big 12 champions. Notre Dame was on that list. Wisconsin, yes, uh, Purdue, uh, a Big Ten team that's won numerous Big Ten championships on there. Um, and Oklahoma State and Missouri were two other schools that had offered to you. But for yes, you, sir. what was the thing about the relationship with Baylor that really sold it? Um, The relationship that I had with Coach Bras and his staff, it, it was really like – it was like how I, um, how I have a relationship with my head coach in my school. Um, I always – wanted to trust trust the, the school that I was going to and the coaching staff, and I knew that I can trust Baylor staff. You've developed a relationship with Coach Carlton Buckles and Jeff Levy. Those were the two coaches that were kind of recruiting you the hardest. Jeff Levy runs, the, you know, works with the running backs. Coach Buckles recruits that area of Texas for Baylor. Can you just talk about the relationship that you've had 
with them because they've offered you basically about two years ago, and that's been kind of and this relationship has been kind of growing over these last two years. Yes, sir. I've just been keeping in touch with them guys ever since they offered me my ninth grade year. Since I, since like the spring of my ninth grade year, I I had um used to call them and stuff and check up on them and stuff. Even when I didn't even have an offer, I just always liked the Baylor, and I knew that they can do big things in the Big Twelve. Was this something with Baylor the way that they run their the way that they run their program? I mean, obviously they developed a pretty good pipeline into Memorial with the likes of Terrence Singleton and Trevon Armstead on that team. But is there something that the way that the coaches interact with you guys that kind of gives you a feeling of comfort, trust, that sort of thing? Um, the coaching staff is very energetic, and that's that's what I like. Like that's how my coaching staff is at my school, and that it, it wouldn't be. Wouldn't be fun for me to go to a coaching staff that that's not really energetic. How I am, how, well, how my coach school is. You obviously have some, you know, had some time to make this decision. You're the third member of the 2016 class. Let's just talk a little bit about the timing of it. Why was this the middle of July seeming to be the time for you to do this? Because obviously you have a long time before basically February 3rd of 2016. So. What made it feel like this was the right time to do it for you? Um, I really didn't even plan this. I just did it out of nowhere. I felt like that was where my heart was, and I knew that I can trust Coach Browse and his staff. And I, I was just like the the day I had committed, well, the day before I had committed, I just had a big dream about it, and it was all in my head that the whole night. And I knew that um, Coach Browse would take care of me, and that um, at Baylor. We're talking with Cameron Martin, 2016 running back from Port Arthur Memorial, 5'10", 174. He has a chance to get a little bit bigger, he hopes, and obviously be a contributor to this offense in 2016 when he signs with Baylor. Cameron, just for the folks that don't know much about your game, we're going to ask you to kind of give everyone kind of a self-scouting report of yourself. So go right ahead and tell us about your game and what you would bring to an offense, and more importantly, Baylor in the next couple of years. Um, I'll bring my vision. I'll bring my speed. And just that—that's that's mainly it. I'm very fast, and I want to get faster and faster than I am right now. You're a specialist too in the return game. What do you think you could do as far as the punt returns or kick returns, whatever? If it's not Memorial, but what it could be for maybe Baylor if that works out that way. Um, whatever it takes to get on the field in my freshman year, it, it really doesn't matter. I just want to be a big impact in Baylor offense and and on Baylor team. But it'll be really good for me to play special teams my freshman year and return, kickoff returns and punts. You're going to start uh, fall workouts for Memorial in about three, four weeks. I think the first workout for you guys is going to be on August the 11th. Mm -hmm. What's going to be the preparation for you getting ready for the season? Let's just talk about the season itself for Memorial because I know there's a lot of high expectations for this team. There are there every year, but this year in particular. Well, just stay focused on the right thing. Just, just be a team player. Don't let this commitment get big get big in my head, just stay focused on my team and what we have to do for the season, and that's to get a state championship. And that's, That should be every player in the, that's playing a game of high school football goal is to win a state championship, and that's one of my goals. A lot of people are going to be looking at you saying, well, gosh, did he commit too early? Other schools might be coming in after you and maybe thinking that they may, might have a chance to pry you away. What would be your message to those schools who might try to divert your interest and try and get you to think about them even though you have been committed to Baylor? Thank you for taking your interest. Thank you for taking your interest in me. <laughs>
<laughs> there you go. All right, well, Cameron, we really appreciate your taking some time with us, and thank you for joining us on our inaugural Sikkim Sportscast, and we're looking forward to tracking your progress throughout the 2014 season, and we wish you all the best of luck, and again, our congratulations to you to committing for, to Baylor, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. That's Cameron Martin, everybody. Okay, we're back, and now, Jake, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in basketball? Well, right now, Baylor has just one commitment, 2015 shooting guard King McClure. He plays for the Texas Titans, and not coincidentally, Baylor is going after two of his, uh, his AAU teammates. That's Tyler Davis, a center, and then DJ Hogue, a small forward. I talked to their coach this week. Kevin, you're going to say his name for me? Yeah, possible. So. <laughs> I, you know, I talked to him on the phone, and I kind of got his name wrong then, so I'm going to defer to you on, on that one, Kevin. But, but yes, I talked to him, and, um, you know, he told me something really interesting. He said all the Texas schools are in on, on Davis and Hogue. He said UCLA and Kansas interested, a lot of the blue bloods of college basketball. But he said right now he would put Baylor at the top with the others, if not at the top. And that's pretty huge news. Both of these guys are ranked in the top 50 and, and the rivals 150. And they're both four-star guys. And I started thinking about this, something I haven't written on the website yet. But I think these guys are the ideal recruits for, for really Baylor, almost any school. And it's because they're not one-and-dones. Davis is six foot nine, but he's had a he's had a, to shed a lot of pounds throughout his career. He shed about seventy to eighty pounds since his ninth grade year. DJ Hogue is, is young for his age. He's got a lot of work to do on the defensive end, but he's a natural scorer. So these are guys who are going to come to Waco. You know, if Baylor is fortunate to sign them, they're going to come and they're going to ha uh, have some work to do, and they could be there three or four years. And to get talented guys who are you know ultra talented guys, but to get them to stick around for their whole career would be huge for Baylor. It's making sure that you have talent and not they're, they're not leaving early like Baylor's had a couple guys in recent years. So I think it's almost imperative that Scott Drew gets these two guys because um, last year I liked the recruiting class, the 2014 signing class, but it was a departure from getting four- and five-star guys, and I think this would be a nice rebound to get Davis and Hogue. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that they uh, – uh, the fact that it was a solid class uh, for the 2014 class, guys like T.J. Maston – or uh, there Kobe Eubanks, who's expected to arrive in, in August. Uh, those guys coming in, just to name a couple. And then Damian Durham from uh, from way out in a small town East Texas or there. I think from the 2015 standpoint, the, I think they're already ahead of pace with King McClure's commitment. I know there were some people that about McClure's knee injury and the fact that he, re, he had a different knee injury that occurred during the basketball season during the winter cost some teams to back off. You know, you can we can talk about the fact where Kansas really stood with King uh, before he announced. But at the same time, he's really had a big uh, EYBL season. He's really been productive not only offensively, but the way he shares the basketball. And the one thing that, you know, I was talking to Eric Bossy, our national basketball analyst, about this during the week, and he had shared that one thing that's noted and one thing that King talked about, the fact that his mid-range jumper has really improved. So, there's also been a lot of talk that those three would like to continue playing in college. I know a lot of kids who are being recruited at the Division One level of would like to play together. That's not always going to happen just because of different circumstances or whatnot. But if Baylor were was to nab all three of these guys, and I, I do think they're going to sign in November, the other two in Davis and Hogue. But if Baylor were to grab all these three, it would probably put them into the top five. Uh, nationally in terms of their signing class with maybe one or two more spots remaining. But keep in mind, too, this other guard that's uh, out in Oklahoma and Shake Milton. 
I had a chance to visit with him a couple weeks ago. He is also at Peach Jam right now with the MoCan team, his AAU team. He's a kid that's really started to pick up some momentum there. It looks like the three teams that are really in on him are Baylor, Illinois, and SMU, not in that order. But it looks like those three are the ones that are making the most run at him. And I know from talking to him that once he gets done with Peach Jam this week, that he's hoping to try and schedule a visit with Baylor in the near future. Yeah, since we're on the topic, before we move on to the next segment, I did want to mention that I did talk to a new offer in the 2016 class. Uh, we mentioned a Kobe Eubanks. This is Kobe McEwen. He's originally from Toronto, but he's playing at an academy in Utah. He got a Baylor offer this week, and he told me, uh, quote, he's extremely interested in Baylor. He hopes to set up a visit. He loves Baylor's uh, religious background. He, he likes that the coaches uh, seem like a family atmosphere, and he, he also said he loves that Baylor puts people in the pros. So that's another get, a guy to uh, keep on your radar for the next couple years, uh, Kobe McEwen, 2016 shooting guard. And that's one other thing, too, Stephen, just before we throw it back to you, but one of the things about Baylor's basketball recruiting is that they really try and get kids who are coming from a faith-based background. That's kind of what Texas Titans, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, that's something that they preach to their kids where there is a there is something to uh, having a, a real solid structure beyond basketball in your life. And I think that's something that Baylor has done a really good job on selling all their kids that when they come to when they come to Baylor, it's more than basketball. We obviously want to compete for Big 12 championships, as they will tell these kids. But at the same time, there's a more well-rounded environment, and I think that really makes an impact on a lot of kids. And I think that's partly the reason why King McClure committed so early for a couple of reasons. Baylor may, really went after him hard, but at the same time, it was just the environment that really, really also made the difference for him. I know, I know. I, I said last word. I, I do have one more word on that. You talk about the Titans coach, Posikal. Did I, Am I getting it right, Kevin? Uh, just go with it. I'll just, just go with it, yeah. Well, uh, one thing he said to me, and uh, we'll leave it on this. It, it, you know, you hear a lot of stories about AU coaches, and just some of these stories aren't very savory. Something he said to me really stood out, and it, it kind of reveals the character of this this organization and the players that play for it. He said, I'm going to be as, as heavy into your recruiting or as out of it as you'd like me to be. You know, he can he can guide the process, or he can step back and let the player do it all. So, you know, it's kind of a relief to hear a coach say that, knowing that that he's going to let these players make the decision. He's going to help them if they need it. But if they're if they're mature enough and if they have enough support system to make it, he's not going to step in and interfere. Okay, 2014-2015 Baylor basketball team. Early predictions. What do y'all think? I'm going to go with the fact that I do think that they're going to be maybe a top three, top four team. I mean, you always kind of have to go with the, unfortunately, you kind of have to say the default favorite, Kansas, uh, because of the fact that they've won, what, nine consecutive Big 12 championships under Bill, Bill Self, which is unprecedented and basically unheard of in this age of college basketball with the one and duns. I think Texas is going to have a huge bounce back year this year. I mean, they made the NCAA tournament, got to the second round, and Rick Barnes has the nucleus of his team coming back. But I think that Scott Drew and Baylor have got enough of their kids coming back next year, even though they lost Corey Jefferson and Isaiah Austin. But I still think there's enough with, with the likes of Rico Gathers uh, coming back that really make a difference for this team. I think they'll be okay. They may get off to a slower start. That's probably why the non-conference schedule looks maybe not as imposing as it has in years past. But I do think that Baylor will probably be better, than what, better in February than what we see in November. 
Yeah, last year before the season said, I, I thought Baylor was a Sweet 16, a Sweet 16 team or better. I didn't think they were going to get there mid-conference season, but they, they, they ended up fulfilling expectations. It's early, but right now I say Baylor is a tournament team. I, I don't I don't know if they have enough to get to the second weekend. It kind of depends on how the seeding would go if they make it that far. But uh, just losing two dominant players in the front court. I like Kenny Cherry. I like Rico Gathers, but I don't know if there's enough, you know, maybe star power, if you want to say, to, to predict this team to make the Sweet 16. But there's definitely the talent there to make it to the tournament. And that's what Baylor needs to do. They need to get some momentum and get some consistency. And I think just getting to the tournament, at least from right now, I think that'd be a successful season. I think the X factor could be Jonathan Motley since he did the red shirt last year, Jake. I think you know all the reports for him working out and so forth, uh, everyone loves the way he's been working. Of course, you got to show it on the court. But mm -hmm. there's been a lot of excitement about the way his offseason went. And then you've also got Alaric Freeman, who missed the, who was basically sat out this year, sat out last year because of his hand injuries. You're going to have two guys infused in the rotation next year who weren't a part of this coming season, I should say, who weren't a part of last year's Sweet 16 team and were highly thought of when they were recruited. More so, Alaric Freeman, because remember he was the late uh, yeah switch from UCLA. So I think the fact that you're going to have some. Maybe better talent in the backcourt, even though it's not experienced in Freeman, and that somebody who's unproven but has a lot of tools in Motley. If those guys really pick it up uh, in November and December before we hit the conference season in January, then I think you've got something to look at there with this squad. Yeah, yeah I do agree. I think you mentioned both of them are X factors, and I think a third X factor is is Ding Ding, the the JUCO signee. Uh, you know, his coach has raved about him. He had 30 point, 20 rebound games multiple times in college. So, you know, he's another X factor. And that's why I say I think this is just a tournament team right now because there's three X factors. You know, so that's that's a little bit of a unknown, uh, too much unknown for me to, to make a bold prediction with this team. But I, I do believe there's definitely the talent to you know, finish top four, top five in the Big 12 and, and make the NCAA tournament. I agree with that. Okay. And when we come back, we'll be talking. Big 12 football and Big 12 media days. Okay, and we are back, and now we're going to talk about predictions for the Big 12 this year. And, Kevin, how did you vote? Well, they're going to release the media poll uh, on Monday at the Big 12 uh, media days, and I had to get mine in on Friday of last week, and I went in this order 1 to 10. Number one, I had Baylor. Number two, Oklahoma. Number three, Oklahoma State. Number four, Kansas State. Number five, Texas. Number six, Texas Tech. Number seven, TCU. Number eight, West Virginia. Number nine, Iowa State. Number 10, Kansas. A couple things that I looked at as far as looking at this was were concerned. Um, I went with Baylor over Oklahoma. Before I get into that, I know everyone's going to look at recent, the recent what have you done for me lately. Oklahoma wins its BCS game in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, and Trevor Knight has a huge football game, as did uh, uh, Eric Stryker, the Oklahoma uh, linebacker. Great win. Knight played out of his mind. Baylor loses its uh, Fiesta Bowl game to Central Florida. I mean, all the distractions involving Art Bryles and the Texas coaching search at the time, and plus the fact Baylor just wasn't very focused and didn't play very well that night. That being said, and then, of course, they'll have talk about Oklahoma's defense is going to be pretty loaded this year, especially along the front seven, both between the defensive line and linebackers. And the fact, maybe the third one and the one that 
probably tipped it to Oklahoma more than likely is the fact that Baylor's got to go to Norman on November 8th. But I went with Baylor for this reason. Number one, I think this defense is probably going to be the best that we've ever seen in the Art Bryles era. The defensive front returns so many mainstay players. Sean Oakman, who I voted for on the all-conference team and didn't make it, but I think he's going to be such a presence at end that we're not going to begin able to begin to appreciate him until maybe October. Uh, linebacker Bryce Hager, you can't have a two-time all-conference selection running your defense like he does, and he's going to be the heart and soul of that unit. But also you've got some other uh, emerging defensive linemen uh, that are popping up, like Andrew Billings, who had a pretty solid freshman campaign. You also have uh, Jamal Palmer, who's been really coming on. He's going to be a junior this year. He's really gained a lot of great experience. And then you have Byron Bonds. They took the red shirt off of him. They played him at defensive tackle, and he really grew up. And then you've got a, kind of like the unsung captain of that group in Bo Blackshear. Then you bring back Javante McGee, who did not play last year. And he, we all know how talented Javante is. If he comes back and he's got mind right with ball and everything seems to be that is the case and that's the way he went through spring, I really like this defensive front. Number two, Baylor has the most experienced quarterback in this conference right now in Bryce Petty. You can look at Bryce's 2013 season between how great he was in the first seven and how much he may have tapered off in the last six, but I think he learned a lot from that. And number three, if you're going to win a conference championship and if you're going to be a mainstay program, You've got to find a way to win big games, big conference games on the road. Baylor has two opportunities to do that in Austin on October 4th against Texas, November 8th in Norman against Oklahoma. If the Bears find a way to, if not split, but sweep those two games, that really tells you a lot about where Baylor football is going. And I just have enough confidence with this group right now that they're going to be there and maybe call it blind faith and maybe I see it the, mat the maturation of a program like I do. But that's my, but that's my vote, and I stuck to it. You know, if if they sweep Texas and Oklahoma and do not win the Big Twelve, that means they had a couple of choke jobs elsewhere. Um, because if you <laughs> win in Austin and you win in Norman this year, you better win a, a conference championship. I mean, that's 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 right. two impressive wins, but it's two wins against teams that will compete more Oklahoma than Texas for a, for a Big Twelve championship. That gives you the tiebreakers over both. Yeah, if if Baylor sweeps that, they better be in in the the Big 12, you know, they better be Big 12 champions and maybe in the, in the Final Four. Okay, and coming to it, Jake, what are your predictions? I didn't differ too much from Kevin. Um, basically, my top ten was almost the exact same as his, except uh, a few instances of, of teams flip-flopped. Um, he has Kansas last. I have them getting out of the doghouse this year. They're going to finish ninth ahead of Iowa State. I think Iowa State's uh, uh, going to be pretty poor this year, and I think Kansas cannot be any worse than they have been. So, you know, it's a bold prediction of mine. I think Kansas gets out of the, uh, the basement this year. <laughs> I also have um, a Kansas State and Oklahoma State flip-flopped. I have Kansas State finishing third. I think that's a team that is just constantly overlooked every single year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, like, I like the momentum they have coming back. I thought they peaked in the second half of the season, I think they'll be a better team this year. And the last one that I have flip-flopped is ones that might get me some hate mail, but I have Oklahoma winning the Big 12 championship, Baylor finishing second. A lot of reasons for it. Um, it has nothing to do with, with the fact that, you know, Baylor, you know, doesn't belong there or, or silly stuff that the media can make up or people can say. 
I just think that, one, you're on the road at Oklahoma. It's a tough place to play. Obviously, you've never won there. Um, but, Kevin, you talked about the defense saying it could be the best Baylor's ever had. I think that's having a lot of faith in the defensive line being very special because besides Bryce Hager, once you get past that defensive line, there's a lot of inexperience. The secondary is going to be starting three new starters. Right. Could be starting four. They could be starting four if, if Terrell Burt loses his starting job as a safety, which you know some people said that, that there's an opportunity. So right. you've got four new defensive backs and a and a conference that occasionally throws the ball. You know that that, that gives me a little reason for concern. So uh, look, uh, you know it's it's a coin flip. I think everyone will say between Oklahoma and Baylor. If it was right. a neutral field, I might pick Baylor. You know if they if they met in Arlington like they do against Tech, maybe I, I would pick Baylor. I think it's I think it's really close, but um, my gut is telling me that Oklahoma will win that game, and I think that makes the difference. You know, there there's every team has its warts. You, know, you talk about Baylor's deficiencies on the defensive back seven after Bryce Hager. I mean, for Oklahoma, do they really have an established running game? That's gonna that's something that really was their issue. They don't have a real lead wide receiver amongst this group right now. I mean, that defense is no is is pretty much nails. I'll give them that. But I think when it comes to moving the football, who's going to carry it consistently? Who's going to be that guy reliable in the backfield for Bob Stoops? And who's going to be the playmaker and the receiver? I mean, that's why they're trying to get Doriel Green-Beckham immediately eligible because of, number one, how talented he is. But number two, they don't have – I don't know if you really can look at Oklahoma's wide receivers and say that's yeah. the guy who can make the, the big play down this stretch to win a football game. And, and, and you know, to, to argue – Sorry, Kevin, I was going to say, to argue against myself, I'm not sold on Trevor Knight, and I understand he had a great bowl game, but right. don't tell me that was the Alabama that was, you know, there up until Auburn. You know, Alabama had had, had their hopes dashed one time in the BCS, played Utah, and got their, you know, hand, heads handed to them. Right. That's kind of what happens when a team's goal is to win a national championship. They think they're going to do it, and when that goal is taken away from them, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I just don't think they were playing with the same level of effort as intensity as Oklahoma. I think Trevor Knight had the game of his life. Right. Um, is he going to have that all year long? You know, possibly so, but I, I still think he has a lot to prove. And, and uh, you know, to argue against myself and, and, and to help you with your case, you know, if you if you put it between quarterbacks, you take Petty overnight any day of the week. So um, that, that's why I'm saying my, my choice for Oklahoma is not definitive. I don't I don't see them running away with it. I, I just think it's if it's going to come down to that one game there, I, I give Oklahoma the slight edge. And, Stephen, before we throw it back to you, just a couple of reasons for the picks that I made on my top ten. I had Oklahoma State third, Kansas State fourth. The reason why I deferred to the Cowboys is because I just have a lot of faith in the way Mike Gundy is building his program there. It's now a consistent Big 12 championship contender in my view. And even though they did suffer a lot of graduation losses from that 2013 team, the team that was predicted to win the Big 12 championship and was about you know, 20 seconds away from doing it and, and going to the uh, uh, Fiesta Bowl, you know, I still think that they kind of have an established quarterback in J.W. Walsh. He's not the great passer, but he does know the offense. So that's a great leader there. That's why I defer to them. Kansas State. You know, I actually, when I did my first poll, I had them fifth and Texas fourth. But then I thought, you know, Kansas State has more of an established quarterback in situation there with Jake Waters, who played last year. Mm -hmm. And I just think with Texas, they've just got too many questions. Defensively, they might be okay. I mean, that was kind of their bell cow uh, unit last year. But if David Ash, who 
appears to be healthy but isn't where he needs to be and if he gets hurt again and if he's even if he's not an effective and Charlie Strong has to pull him for a really wild card in Tyrone Swoops who might be considered who could be this close to being a complete bust <laughs> uh, I agree and, and but the thing is is that if you go from Ash to Tyrone Swoops Look out. Running back situation seems to be okay with Malcolm Brown. Jonathan Gray's situation is a little bit up in the air. Um, and then you've got Jackson Shipley and no, and a bunch of guys named Herb playing wide receiver for that team. I mean, I know that I, I may not may be overstating a little bit. And then with Tech, before I s switch it back to you, or Texas Tech and TCU, Stephen, with Tech, Davis Webb is going to be the quarterback. Still have some issues with their running game. They don't have. They just moved Kenny Williams from linebacker from running back to linebacker. So what does that tell you? Mm -hmm. And because they didn't really need help on the defensive end. And then for TCU, who's playing quarterback? You know, everyone talks about Matt Jokel being the uh, being the guy who's probably going to take who's going to take the starting role. But I'm just not really sold on him as being that starter. And plus the fact they are changing offenses. And Jake and Stephen, yeah. you both both of you know that when you are changing offensive philosophies from one year to the next. It takes a full year for everyone to get on the same page. TCU's defense should be fine when you've got guys like Sam Carter and Chucky Hunter and Devontae Fields on there, provided that Devontae Fields is completely focused and not bothered by off-the-field distractions. But they should be fine defensively, but offensively, too many question marks for me, and that's why I put the Frogs seventh. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, uh, I also had the seventh. Um, you know, you talked about Texas. I, I could see TCU and Texas Tech passing Texas uh, because yeah. of the quarterback situation too. I just went with Texas based on you know last year they really overachieved with um, you know Case McCoy playing quarterback. I, if they can get to the last game of the season with him at quarterback and, and still have a chance for a Big Twelve championship, it shows worst that there there is there is talent. Yeah, worst looking arm motion I've ever seen in a quarterback in Case McCoy. What was that? I. You know, obviously, if it weren't for his brother being there, he he never would have you know sniffed that <laughs> roster. You got to believe that it was a there was a there was a two part deal of, of cold County Texas in the first place. <laughs> All yeah. right, Stephen, tell us where we're wrong. Okay, well, the first time on Case McCoy, the first time I saw him on the sidelines, the only thing I could think was that Colt must have got all the food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. Uh, Okay, I went with Baylor number one. Now, I think there's a couple Bummer. of things that could really <laughs> knock it out, uh, and that is it's the game at Oklahoma. And, you know, we've said that. You know, every year we say, okay, what's the big game? Last year I said it's the game with Texas. This year it's the game at Oklahoma, and right. that's going to be Baylor's defining moment this year. For better or worse, it's going to be the game at Oklahoma. Uh I went with Oklahoma number two. I agree with the things y'all said. I think that the I think you had Oklahoma. Look, they played a great game against Alabama. You had an Alabama game that was dis, a team that was disappointed it wasn't in the national championship, and then you had a Baylor team that was disappointed they were playing Central Florida. They said, "Hey, we went to a Fiesta Bowl and we're still getting a directional school," uh, and. Baylor didn't have anything to win in the Fiesta Bowl, but they had a lot to lose, and they did lose it, particularly yeah. in respect coming into this season. I think so I think that's the reason Oklahoma's one, and Baylor's two for most people. I think Baylor can take them. I went with Texas number three, and I know you guys are thinking it's just because I went to UT, probably. <laughs> uh, 
what the reason I went to, te to Texas number three is everybody's kicking Texas right now. Everybody's hating on Texas. These guys have still been recruiting well. They haven't been developing talent. I think you're going to see a Texas team walk out there with a chip on its shoulder. I don't think they're going to be slick. They're going to be tough. Under Matt Brown, the last few years, people were not afraid of Texas. They weren't afraid Texas was going to smack you in the mouth. I think when Charlie Strong gets there, they will be. With Texas, it still depends on if Matt Ash is still upright in November. If right. he's gone David in November, if he's out in November, their whole season's toast. Yeah, yeah, David Ash, Kevin is saying. Yeah. Yeah, David Ash, I'm sorry. And uh but uh also and Swope said he's uh close to being a bust. I think he's getting really close to being a tight end. Uh <laughs> no, seriously, I think they might move his position. Uh well they and, could, yeah. I mean, I do. I do hear what you're saying, Stephen. On uh, and maybe Charlie Strong can play that chip on the shoulder uh, card with that team this year. I mean, we're not trying to say that Texas doesn't have any talent. That's not. No, that's never been the issue with them. But again, you've just. But we all know that the game is about the guy under center or standing in the shotgun, whatever. But uh, mm -hmm. and I just do not. The Texas that that position at Texas has been such un has been so unstable for the last four or five years, that do you really think that David Ash or Tyrone Swoops could be the guy that can take you to? I, I think we're going to really know a lot about where Texas is going in September in those games against BYU and UCLA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, they could get smoked at UCLA. I think they, very Well, that game's in Arlington, So, but nonetheless, if that, if, but regardless, the fact that if they don't play well against BYU, which is at home, and remember the BYU game was the one that kind of turned the season upside down last year, yeah. and they gave up like a, one billion uh, yeah. rushing yards to Cougars. Um, you know, uh, you know, you look at that, and that's where that soft label came in. And of course, that's when they fired their defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, and a whole season went upside went upside down. I, I do think, though, that let's just say, for instance, if they do beat Baylor on October fourth in Austin. That kind of sends a different signal because it's, uh, because it's a different message for everybody. I think I believe that's the conference opener. So, uh, you know, a lot of measuring sticks as to where Texas is really at, and maybe that's perfect for them at this point that everyone's kind of overlooking them. I, I think, if, you know, we talked about the, the two games, Austin and Norman. I think if, you know, if Baylor loses in Austin this year, it, it's a bad sign for Baylor um, more than it is a good sign for Texas um, because Texas is not getting – talked about as, as a Big 12 contender or as a national championship contender, Baylor is. Um, I, I think that's a game you, you almost have to win, and I hate to say that about a game in Austin at a large stadium at a place that's that's relatively tough to play, but I think Baylor's just in a position right now with this current team with a, a veteran at quarterback where you need to go in and win that game. Yeah. Well, Baylor's still building a program, and so they can't – they can't afford – Texas can have a down year. Bama can have a down year. Baylor hasn't been good enough long enough to have a, a down year and still get respect. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think people will uh, easily jump off the bandwagon or, or say, you know, we talked about it in, in production of this podcast, if, if Baylor's a flash of the pan, we all agree that they're not. But I right. think I think there are a lot of people who don't follow them closely and, and might say that if you lose to a, a first-year coach in Austin – um, to a team with a lot of question marks, a lot more than Baylor has. 
yeah, I think I think people will be eager, maybe not eager, but they'll be quick to uh, jump off the bandwagon if Baylor, you know, loses that game or loses really any other game other than to Oklahoma. I, I just don't think uh, Baylor's, like you said, Stephen, earn the right to where they get a pass when they lose a game or two that maybe they shouldn't. And, and okay. the final thing on this, and the final thing on this too, is the fact that the elephant in the room for this whole thing with this Baylor team this year is still Bryce Petty's health, because you know we said it last year that Bryce Petty, we that Baylor was one Bryce Petty injury away from the from the season being what's going to happen. I, you know, even mm -hmm. though Seth Russell has some experience at the Division One level because he played in a lot of mop up duties uh, of games that Baylor had had well control of basically through October I still we still don't know enough about Seth yet and can we tr and can Art Browse and Philip Montgomery trust the offense to Seth in the second quarter on a Saturday afternoon uh, in Austin for so to speak sure um, and, and I think that's something that if Bryce Petty goes down and maybe you know, for an extended period of time that's really the egg that's really again the elephant in the room here for this sure. program well, you know, something that's on that point, though, I think this is where Baylor's gotten so much better is the fact that I think if Petty were to go down, say he doesn't play a game all season um, right. for, some, for some terrible reason, I think Baylor could still win seven or eight games, maybe even more, just because I think there's just so many playmakers around Petty. I, mm -hmm. I think you get Seth Russell, a guy, I mean, you're going to go 3-0 and in non-conference. That, that's a no-brainer. Even right. I, I could say even with Chris Johnson, your third-string quarterback, there's a chance, good chance, Baylor goes three and zero non-conference. You right. put in Seth Russell, definitely three and zero, and I think you can get four or five more wins just mm -hmm. because. I mean, you look at Antoine Goodley, you look at Corey Coleman, Levi Norwood, Jay Lee. You got so much talent in the receiving core. Yeah. You're three deep at running back with three guys you feel like could be all all Big Twelve caliber running backs, and you've got a really good offensive line. That, right. that you you put in almost anybody that our Browse gets his hands on, and you're going to win seven or eight games. So. I think the program has risen to a level that they could withstand a bad injury to the quarterback, but take away Petty, and, and you're not playing for a Big 12 title. I'll, I'll agree with that for sure. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more, Stephen, as we go along here as we get closer mm -hmm. to the season, but I think that the uh, the one guy on this offense who could really have a breakout year for them is Corey Coleman. Had a great spring. I mean, you took the, you took the amazing picture of him in the spring game with a one-handed catch. Uh, mm -hmm. It reminded me of the great one-handed catch that he made uh, at the Baylor camp a couple years ago when Baylor was recruiting him, or actually after he had committed to them. But I think Corey's poised to have a huge season. Yeah, my last thoughts on this, uh, on uh, Kansas. I've got Kansas dead last. I believe Charlie Weiss can win when I see Charlie Weiss win. Uh, that's, you know, that's it on Kansas. Texas Tech... I'm a little concerned in that uh, I'm not sure how Cliff Kingsbury's, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, Edward from Twilight persona, I'm not sure how that's going to last long term. I think the quarterback wants to be the sex symbol rock star. Right. And I get the feeling that Cliff, particularly when the rumors came out that he might take a few snaps in spring practice, I'm just wondering how that's going to play long term. That, those are my only thoughts on Tech. You know uh, what? Yeah. If he wins, if he wins, it'll play long term. That's that's all anybody wants is a winner. Although I say that Leach was a winner, and that his act sure didn't work. So, 
And maybe you're on to something, Stephen. Yeah, we'll leave it on this. And personal, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at this too, because my wife, who's a great judge of character, I'll never forget this. That Thursday night game that Tech played against TCU, that Tech won, and they're going through, you know, college football game day. They're going through their pregame show, and then when they do their cutaways, they're showing those pictures of a Kingsbury throwing the football around in pregame warmups. And my wife looks at me and she goes, "Is that the Texas Tech coach?" And I said, "Yes." She goes. He shouldn't be doing that. He goes, that's really kind of tacky that he's doing that. And she goes, I don't like him. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so. <laughs> Who did your wife pick to win the right? pick Everyone else has it wrong. And so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, uh, Kevin, let's move on to the Bears that made the preseason all Big 12 uh, team. Well, uh, you have uh, Bryce Petty, who is the preseason offensive player of the year. Uh, your running back is going to be Shock Glenwood. Actually, I didn't vote for Shock as the running back of the year. And, of course, if you all read the Baylor Blitz, Game on you. you saw that. And now Jake will jump all over me because <laughs> you and I talked about this too. And so, anyway, but, you know, I just went back and forth because I wasn't sure if he was going to get a majority of the carries. Certainly deserving. I certainly was thinking about it. I was afraid to pull the trigger. But in my defense – I had Sean Oakman on the first, on the all Big 12 defense, and he didn't make that defense. So I still had seven Bears on the all conference team. I just didn't have the right seven. I had six of the seven. That's but pretty the good. Other, but but the other Baylor players that made it, I had Bryce Hager as a linebacker. Of course, Spencer Roth, who might be the best punter in all of college football, and he really, if he doesn't win the Ray Guy Award this year, I'll be shocked. He's that great it'll, of a. It'll be punter. lack of attempts if he doesn't. Yeah. Probably that might be it, too. That probably why he didn't get uh, serious consideration last year. Mm -hmm. But he's such an influencer of field position. But I mean, he's the first team punter. Antoine Goodley made it. Spencer Drango made it. Levi Norwood is your punt returner. And again, Bryce Petty is your first team quarterback. So that kind of gives you an indication of that uh, as the Baylor uh, recipients on the All Big 12. All worthy selections. Again, you know, what do I know about Shockland would not making the All Conference team when I went back and forth on it? But nonetheless, um, I think the people for Baylor who deserve to be there uh, were, are there. No doubt about it. I, I agree. I, I think the media got it dead on. I mean, I think maybe Shock Linwood could have lost his place to another running back, but he, he's very deserving. I, I think you, you just nailed it. Every player who deserved it got on. If I turn in a ballot, Baylor's starting offense would have been my ballot for the offense. <laughs> just kidding. No, um, no, I think you're right. I think I think uh, Troy Baker at right tackle. I think if he has a great year, um, he has a chance to make the team at, at the postseason. Uh, I think his injuries kind of got you know he didn't play much last year except toward the end, and I think people kind of forgot about him. But he's an All Conference caliber player, and we we've talked about Corey Coleman. He's another guy who I could see at the end of the year making the team. Yeah, Oakman could too. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, that, that's just offense. I I also think. You know, I kind of ripped on Baylor secondary, but I think there's some talented players there. I like Orion Stewart. I like Terrence Singleton. I like Xavier Howard. I think all three guys are talented. It's just you can't pick them on a preseason team because they haven't really done anything. But, right. you know, if, if Baylor has a great year and the defense has a great year, it's going to be partly because the, the defense um, plays well. And, and, you know, when your team wins a big title or finishes in the top two, and you have a lot of wins. Usually, those are the guys that get rewarded. So I could see I could see someone in the secondary making the postseason team as well. I think the thing about Baylor's secondary is they're going to be green. You know, everybody picks on Art about uh, Bryles about the soft uh, non-conference schedule, 
but this gives him a really good chance to build that secondary, and I think that the secondary has more athleticism than it did last year. And if he can build up the experience during the uh, the non-conference schedule, I think they could be pretty good by the time that the season starts. My big concern is still in there in the linebacker position after you talk about Hager because Eddie Lackey brought a lot to that team, and I'm not sure they've got a replacement for him right now. Yeah, I, That's other, a great point. Yeah, yeah and I, I will argue with your athleticism in the secondary. Uh, you know, Ahmad Dixon – uh, and, and then and Goodson at cornerback, you know, point guard and and cornerback. Uh, it, it's pretty close, but uh, I do like what you say about them building. You know, Singleton is going to be a sophomore. Howard's going to be a sophomore. Stewart's going to be a sophomore. If these three guys win jobs, you've got your starting secondary for the next three years, and that'll be big, especially in 2015 when the offense is replacing quarterback. You might need to lean on the defense a little more in 2015. And something tells me too that we may not have an answer at the bear position or the or the nickelback uh, in the four two five. Even though you know you've got the walk on Colin Brents uh, sitting as the number one guy on the depth chart after spring practice, I don't know if he's going to keep it when fall workouts start. My understanding was you know we had a note in the blitz last week talking about Trevon Blanchard. Uh, who was actually recruited for that position, mm-hmm. then was moved into the secondary. But it looks like they're going to probably work him back out there again uh, at that position. And Trevon's a tremendous athlete. He gets it too. Um, but I would think if they break the season against SME was Colin as the nickelback, and if he struggles against if he struggles in that uh, soft non-conference schedule beginning with SMU on the 31st then I could see them making a switch and putting Trevon there or somebody else there because even though even though Colin would be deserving of a scholarship, Jake and Steven, I still think that they're going to go for the better athlete by the time the Big 12 season starts. I mean, you've got to have your best athletes in there who obviously can pick up the defensive schemes and, the, and things of that nature. And if that does transition in some way uh, to a Trevon Blanchard at this point, um, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that does happen. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'd like to see him work in there because that, that position is such a, a question mark right now, especially since you had two guys, Keontae Griffin and Austin Juke, transfer away, and those two guys were, I think, two and three on the depth chart or maybe three and four. So yeah. I, I'd like to see some athleticism there. Nothing against Colin Brents. I mean, if you're a walk-on and you're earning a starting job, you, you've done everything in your power to do it because that's a very difficult uh, you know, way to work your, up, way, work your way up in college football. But – I'm sorry, when you have a, a walk-on starting on a, on a defending conference championship defense, you kind of wonder, you know, what else is there. And, and I, I'd like to see, whether he starts or not, I'd like to see a few guys work in that position, especially in non-conference. Just, uh, you know, hopefully someone will click. Maybe in practice they're not exactly showing it, but in a game situation it, it really clicks for them. So, yeah, I, I agree. That position is, is the most under the microscope out of any position on the field. Okay, and what we're going to do now is we're going to close it out and with questions about what is going to be the overall impact of the new McLean Stadium. Jake, let's start with you. Uh, well, I think we're already seeing it, and there hasn't been a single game played there yet. Kevin and I both talked to a ton of recruits, and very few times do we talk to a recruit, and that, that doesn't come up whether we bring it up or the recruit himself brings it up. It's just, it's just another recruiting tool, and um, Baylor has shown since our Bryles came that they're now willing to invest in, in facilities and, and try to compete, 
not try to, but but compete with their their peers. And so McLean Stadium is just another uh, way that Baylor can do that. Uh, it's definitely changed uh, from a recruiting standpoint. But I think you know people think about that first. But I think from the fan standpoint, that's going to be the biggest change. Mm-hmm. I think tailgating had really taken off, but I think it's going to really just grow and become an excellent scene, one that I think Baylor fans could be proud to talk about, even with, say, like an Ole Miss fan who they have their famous tailgating scene. So from a right. fan standpoint, it's just going to be an incredible environment, um, and it's just great timing that, that you have an excellent team breaking in a new stadium. Uh, the atmosphere there is going to be electric. It's, it's really going to be, I think, unlike any other environment Baylor football's ever had. Yeah, it, it's definitely a shrine, and it's one of those things where uh, it, it will have its boost recruiting uh, economy-wise for, for Waco and the surrounding area. It's a great stepping – it's a great uh, moment for them. The season ticket base has been sold out 28,000 strong, uh, and, of course, they'll get to gobble up whatever uh, other teams to return uh, opponents what they don't sell for those. So Baylor fans will gobble those up. And, of course, they'll have the great feature of fans being able to sit in the berms uh, in the uh, south end zone, and I think that's going to be added a neat little feature to that as well. Um, but, of course, it all comes down to winning. This program has to continue to maintain playing at a high level year after year uh, because great stadiums are great. They hold their value. This is something that Baylor absolutely needed to do was to get football back on campus. It was an absolute must. The winning, the Heisman Trophy, the, the Big 12 Championship, all helped to make this become reality. Art Briles' vision and pushing for it got it there. But now that it's here and now that it's going to be open, really on August 29th when that high school game between Cedar Park and Alito uh, plays, you're going to have to maintain a standard of excellence within the program because if you do not maintain it, say in three or four years' time, you're not going to see 45,000 people in there routinely. Baylor has to give a reason for people coming back year after year. Everything is in place for this program to be there and to sustain that, but now they have to – the talk is cheap. Now you got to go out and keep winning. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, Baylor's not an alumni base like Texas or A&M or Tech even. Um, you know, there's just not enough people – when you have a really bad team to, to stay there and be supportive. So, uh, yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, I think there's so much momentum now that, that that's really not a concern for any anyone involved no. with Baylor is, is continuing to win. Um, but, yeah, but you're definitely right. You just have to, to to make sure that stadium's full. I think one of the things that uh, I picked up on when we were there, this is a 45,000-seat stadium, which is not a big stadium by modern standards, but it's one that Baylor can fill. And we're in a town of 125,000 people. Baylor's going to fill that. But one of the things that I've been noticing is this stadium is designed to look great on television, okay? Mm -hmm. And with 45,000 seats, you can fill that thing, and that thing is going to look great on TV, and I think for Baylor, it's going to be building T-shirt fans. And, and I think that that was part of what they were thinking about with this stadium. Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, the, the, the shots from Floyd Casey Stadium, unfortunately the cameras were all on the alumni side, so they'd, so they'd show the student side and the visitor side. And, you know, sometimes the crowds, maybe they weren't great, but I thought sometimes they might have been misrepresented because the alumni side was pretty full, and in fact sold out, and the other side had the empty seats. And that's what ended up on TV. So you're right, Stephen. From a TV standpoint, the stadium's going to look look excellent, and and you know that matters a whole lot to schools. Well, I know in the Buffalo game last year, you know, it was like 115 degrees, and the sun was hitting the student side. Mm-hmm. And so at halftime, 
about half the fans left, but there were still about 20,000 people there, but they all moved to the other side of the stadium. And so they were all behind the cameras. And I mean, that stadium looked vacant, but there were still about 20,000 people there, but um, they were all behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they, but they suck around for the ice fog when they beat Texas to win the Big 12 championship. So. No, you can't miss that or the right. Oklahoma game. No, exactly. Okay. The Sikkim Sportscast is an independent opinion and analysis-driven program from the staff and does not represent the views or opinions of either Rivals or Yahoo. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.